Blog Talk Radio. There is a watchman on the wall, bringing forth the written word of God to one and all. Are you getting ready? Will you stand or will you fall? Listen to the watchman on the wall. Listen to the watchman on the Rise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. A new day has dawned. All over the earth, men and women are arising. It's time for the sons of God to awake. It is a day of justice, recompense, Restoration, revival, and resurrection power. gentlemen, this is Vincent Xavier, pastor of New Wine Ministries. Great to be with you today. Trust you had a wonderful weekend and a good Monday. Well, we're starting today, and we're going to do something a bit fresh today, and I want to refer to Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 19, where Jesus said, well, let's go ahead and begin in verse 18. Jesus came and spoke unto them. This is after the resurrection. This is after his death upon the cross. This is after he shed his blood for the forgiveness of the sins of the whole world, beginning with the Israel, and to the ends of the earth, even unto this day for 2,000 years. There's still power in the blood. Amen. And so he, 2,000 years ago, is speaking to his disciples after his resurrection, and he says to them, all power, someone say all power, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Now, I wanted to ask a question. How much is all? I mean, all is all. That means it encompasses everything, correct? All is every bit, every part of heaven and every part of earth. God has given Yeshua, Jesus, power over. Amen. So he says again, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go. Ye therefore, go therefore, and teach all nations. Go therefore and teach. Why? Because all power in heaven and in earth is mine. That's what Jesus said. He said that all power 
All power. I can't. I can preach that for an hour. All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. All power has been given unto Jesus in earth. This earth, this sin-sick world that we live in, all power has been given unto him. Go therefore, go therefore, and this is what God would say to you and I today, the, the, the mandate of heaven to the disciples of Jesus Christ, go ye therefore, where? Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Teach the nations. Now, the 12 disciples probably started out really well. But how many of you know in the economy of heaven, everything is about multiplication? So the 12 become 144, 144 become 10,000, and it just escalates as the word went forth. And all the disciples who follow Jesus have this commission upon their lives, go and teach the nations. The word nations there is ethnos, and it simply means people of every tribe, every language, every color, every race, etc. Go and teach them. What are we supposed to be teaching? Teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. You know that the church at times has been divided over how we're supposed to baptize people. Can you sprinkle them? Do you have to dunk them? You know, some people look like they've been baptized in, uh, you know what I mean, weaned on a pickle, baptized in lemon juice. Ooh, we don't want to go there. But in all sincerity, he, he wants all the nations being baptized after they're taught. They are come to faith in God, in Jesus Christ. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Since we've been baptizing people for 29 years, and we cover all the bases. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, we cover it all. And then we allow the baptism to come down. But the point is that you, in verse 20, teaching them, teaching them again, teaching, teaching, teaching who? The nations and teaching those who are baptized. All right. You're not going to be able to really teach the nations, the unregenerate, unbelieving, unredeemed nations of the earth. It's, it's very difficult to sit them down in a classroom or a church service and teach them, right? So it's those who are baptized. So go forth, proclaim the gospel, preach Jesus Christ everywhere, the resurrection, the forgiveness, the remission of sins. And then those who are baptized, teach them to do what? To observe, and that doesn't mean to watch, it means to do, to observe. In other words, hear the commandments, keep the commandments, all things whatsoever I have commanded you. So the responsibility of a true disciple of Jesus Christ is to uh, preach the gospel, the good news, and when people believe, baptize them, and now that they're baptized, now teach them to observe everything that I have commanded you. So it started with the 12 disciples, then it went to the 72, then it went to the, you know, the, it just kept multiplying, and here we are today in the year 2021, and we have a lot of work to do. We still need to reach out to the nations of the earth. We still need to find that one ripe fruit on the tree for salvation, the greatest message ever preached. And we need to teach that individual the ways of God to observe his commandments. We're going to get into that in just a moment today, what it really is the Father God is after. Have you ever wondered as a Christian, what is this all about? What am I supposed to do? Am I under the Mosaic law? Am I, you know, am I just saved by grace and just kind of wandering around? What is it that God has for me? Well, people need to be taught. They need to be taught what God wants 
them to know, okay? And we know that's what Jesus taught the disciples. Now the disciples are going to teach the nations what they themselves were taught. Then Jesus concluded, lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. So let's read it together again, okay? This is today's mandate. It's commission. It's in Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 18, where Jesus said, he came and he spoke unto them, saying, all power. I want you to get this in your spirit because it's a revelation to wherever and whatever you may be going through in your life right now, that Jesus, the Messiah, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, said, all power in heaven and in earth has been given unto me. So Jesus had received everything. You say, well, the, the devil's the God of this world and all these different things. Well, he is, but Jesus has been given all power. He's got some power. The devil has limited power. He doesn't have all power. If he had all power, nobody would be saved. Nobody would exist. Everything would be destroyed. So he's got some power, but he doesn't have all power. Hallelujah. So all power has been given unto me. And so mankind lives under someone's power, the limited power of Satan, which is namely to deceive or we live by the unlimited power of Jesus, which is truth and love and all the goodness of God is in Jesus Christ. Amen. So mankind has to make a decision on who he's going to follow. All right. So all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. And what are we supposed to do? We're to take that power and understand that because all that power belongs to the Lord, we are to go into all the world, to all the nations. And we are to teach all nations, amen, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And again, to observe does not mean to sit back in a, in a chair and watch. It means to observe, to take note of and do. In other words, here's the commandment. Now do it. Teach them to do it, to be doers of the word. Now, we need to know what those commandments are. So everything that Jesus taught the disciples, the disciples are to teach the nations, namely, and in the first place, again, it is the salvation message. It is important that the human race has an opportunity to make a decision on who they choose to serve, either the God with unlimited power or the devil with limited power for a temporary moment. Jesus Christ unlimited power is eternal. The devil's limited power is temporary. There is an end to the devil's power. There is no end to the Lord's power. And so what we want to do is get people to understand that their existence goes way beyond their mere vapor in this earth. Your life and my life on this earth is a vapor, but our eternal spirit, our eternal soul is going on forever. And the big question is, what direction are you going? Are you going to the left or are you going to the right? There is no other direction. There is no, you know, static zone. There is no, you know, wasteland. There is no place of, you know, just being in the middle. It doesn't exist. You either believe and are saved or you don't believe and you are damned. But believing means to observe. If we begin by believing in Jesus Christ and we receive the Messiah's mercy and forgiveness and sacrifice, well, then we've got to take that believing into observation of what he requires and do what he says. This is all connected to the salvation of the Lord. I mean, maybe there are people everywhere that, 
you know, they believe in Jesus, but they don't observe his commandments and do what he wants. They don't even know what he wants. They just think they're saved by grace, and they really hardly ever really know what that means. All right, but we are to understand, and the disciples' responsibility before the Lord was to teach all nations, to teach them. And when they get born again, to teach them to observe and to do everything Christ said to do. So why is this important, and why are we talking about it in the month of June 2021 on planet Earth? What is the purpose? Well, I want to reveal to you, I want to show you, I want to teach you, by the grace of God and by the, by the Holy Spirit's unction alone. But I want to show you something that I believe needs to be returned to, okay? It's simple. It is Yeshua. I believe what Jesus really taught is, is encompassing everything we're going to talk about right now. How many of you remember that there is a scripture in Isaiah that simply says, in complementary fashion to all the other scriptures, that the end is revealed from the beginning. So in other words, at the beginning is what it will be at the end. What was in the beginning shall be in the end. And I'll give you a great example of that. You know, if you read your Bible, in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, God created the heavens and the earth. And then in chapter 2, there was a garden with a tree of life in it. Do you recall? Yes. We're going to be actually reading there in just a moment. But then you know in Revelation 22, the very last chapter in the book of the entire Bible, the book of Revelation 22, everything goes back to the garden. Everything goes back to the tree of life. Everything goes back to the crystal clear river. So as it was in the beginning, so shall it be at the end. It is a full circle. Everything is coming back to the original intention. And this is God's will. This is God's desire. And we know that in the beginning, God did something spectacular, which we're going to talk about. And then because of man's sin and rebellion, well, he went far away from the purposes of God. He did not live within the context of what God had intended. And he's experiencing the death of his decision ever since not God doing anything to anybody. It's man's decision to partake of death. And that was a choice in the midst of the garden, which we're going to get to as well. But through Jesus Christ, God attempted to regather the people through Abrahamic covenants and then the prophets and the kings and the judges. Well, God used all of that to kind of bring things to a point where he eventually sent his son and his son was the final revelation of the Father to bring the nations back to himself. And so he hasn't 2,000 years ago given his son, and then 500 years later he gave Muhammad. That's not true. The revelation, the full revelation of God is in his son, Jesus Christ. And if people are going to feed off Joseph Smith, if they're going to feed off Muhammad, if they're going to feed off Confucius or Buddha, that may have even been before Jesus Christ, but they were certainly not the Messiah who laid their lives down and died on the cross, fulfilling so many scriptures of the Old Testament about who the Messiah would be. So we know that all God's revelation is in his son, Jesus Christ, who is in the image and likeness of the Father. Buddha wasn't. Muhammad wasn't. None of them were. He is the final revelation. So you and I, 2,000 years down the road, we need to rediscover the message of Jesus Christ and share it with the nations of the earth and those who were baptized or to observe, to hear and do, what he wants us to do. And I want to share with you what I believe it is. 
going all the way back to the beginning. So if you're ready, let's go. And what I'm going to do to be undistracted, I want to say good morning, first of all, to David Ellison. <clears throat> good morning, David. Good morning, Melissa Fletcher, Pastor Melissa. Good morning, Brenda Torville. God bless you, Brenda. And good morning, Laquita Sizemore. Laquita, good morning to you. And to Kevin Hauger, good morning, everyone. So here we go. I'm going to go to Genesis chapter 2, and I want to pick it up in verse 8. All right? Genesis chapter 2, verse 8. Oh, if you stay around, you're going to get a pearl for your crown. I believe it. I really do. I, there's a message here. And, you, you know, it, there's, this message impacts the entire earth. This message is for you. It's for me. It's for the whole world. And it's just something that God put in my heart to share today. So Genesis chapter 2, we're going to pick it up in verse 8. And it says there, and the Lord God planted, and I'm going to take this step by step, okay? I'm not just going to read a bunch and then go back. I'm going, to, I'm going to take this step by step. So if you have a notepad or a little marker for your Bible, you should write this down. Because remember, the end will be revealed from the beginning. So it says in Genesis 2.8, the Lord God planted a garden. The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. And there he put the man whom he had formed. So I want you to notice that the very first thing that God did was he planted a garden. And what that word actually means in the Hebrew, it's the gan. <clears throat> That's what it is, G-A-N. And it simply means an enclosure, an enclosed garden. It actually figuratively, the garden figuratively, according to Hebrew definition, speaks of the bride, the bride. Symbolically, that is amazing. We could talk about that later. But right now, it's a garden. It's an enclosure. So I want to ask you a question. The very first thing that we see in Scripture regarding God preparing eternity or preparing man for the earth. We know in Genesis 1, he created all things, the sun, moon, stars, day, night, the earth, the green tree. I mean, he did it all. The beast of the earth, man, sixth day, you got it. Sun, moon, stars on the fourth day. So in verse 8, we again see that God planted a garden. And that garden means an enclosure. And he put it in eastward in Eden. So he planted a garden in Eden. The word Eden means pleasure, pleasure. It talks about uh, the site is unknown. It was the first habitat of man after the creation. So God's first intended purpose for man that was made in his image and likeness God put him in Eden, a pleasurable place, his first habitation. I think that's really cool because it doesn't say God went out and built a city and put man in a city of bricks and mortar and industry and smoke and smog and cars and buses and taxis. 
No. Where did God originally intend man to dwell? In a pleasurable garden. He put him in an enclosed place. Now, this garden was Adam's home, according to the definition. So the first thing that God gave to man in his intended purpose and will was a home. And what kind of a home was it? Well, Genesis 2.8 again, the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden in a pleasurable place, and there he put the man whom he had formed. So God gave man a home. This is part of God's desire for you and I today. God wants you to have a home. And we're going to talk about it. Just here we go. Verse 9. And he wants it to be a beautiful home. And here we go. And out of the ground, out of the ground, and you can mark these down, one, two, three, four, five, if you want to. Out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the eyes or to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There are three things to unpack from Genesis chapter 2, verse 9. So in the economy of God, the very first thing he gives is a home to man. And then in verse 9, He did every tree that is pleasant. The word pleasant there is kamad, and it means to delight in, desirable, precious. It speaks of beauty. I want you to hear God's heart, not your own experience, not my experience, not the experience of the world. This is Father God's heart, something desirable, something precious, something beautiful, greatly beloved, something to be delectable or coveted, a desire, a pleasant, a precious thing. So in other words, God's intention for man was to put him in a place that was so beautiful and desirable, right? Okay, it's so simple. He didn't put him in a shack, okay? He put him in a beautiful place. So a home, number one. Number two, he made Trees, every tree that is pleasant to the sight. So these beautiful trees were in the Garden of Eden, okay? And then it was good for food. These trees were good for food. So God gave a home. He gave something beautiful, desirable, and then he gave food. So in the economy of God towards man, he said that these trees were good for food. So now... God gives man a beautiful home after breathing life into him. God gives him a beautiful home. And then God gives him trees for food. So man has to eat. This is what God wants for you. God desires for you a beautiful place. He desires for you beauty around you. He wants to give you food. But then God says that the tree of life also is in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What was this? Well, number four, if you want to mark it down, this was God giving choice to man, proving he did not create robots. God put two trees, and then, of course, it was going to be man's choice what tree he was going to eat from. In just a little bit, you'll find out what God actually intended for them. We know 
that God is pro-life. When you begin to see the description of what God intended for man, that it's a garden, it's an enclosed place, it is beautiful, there's food, okay? And then he gives the opportunity for man to choose what direction he's going to go. And so he created man with choice. Verse 10, and a river went out of Eden to water the garden. And thence it was parted and became into four heads. So the next thing we know that God gave to man was water. Not only to water the garden, but water to drink. Our bodies require water. And he gave us this beautiful river. He gave man a beautiful river. And so man has food. Man has water. Man is making choices. He's in a beautiful place. He has a home created by God, an enclosed place safety, protection. And by the way, that's what God desired in the garden, in that enclosed place, that it would be a protected place, a safe place. The security of God was all around that place, right? All right. So is this beginning to resemble what God's doing in your life since you believed? Let's go on just a little bit further. So we just read that a river went out of Eden to water the garden. So now we have water. So we have Again, home, beauty, food, choice, water. And this is really cool. It says in verse 11, the name of the first, the four heads of the river, and these are brilliant when you get into the Hebrew on each one of these. We'll do it and we'll, we'll look at something here. So it says the name of the first is Pishon. So the word Pishon, by the way, literally means to disperse. It talks about increase. In the Hebrew, the word pishon means increase. So this water produces increase. Now, there's a river in the book of Ezekiel that flows to the ankle, to the knees, to the waist, and then it's overflowing. And everywhere the river went, it brought life, abundance, increase. That's in the book of Ezekiel. So in the river Pishon, God's desire for that water was to bring increase to the trees, to man. It's just a, it's a spiritual symbolic reality as well. God has a river called the Holy Spirit, for out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. Ooh, not a river, but rivers. I wonder if we're going back to the Garden of Eden in the figurative sense. Oh, mama mia. So the river of God flows out of the belly, and it produces increase in your life. But getting back to the garden, it simply says this, that the name of the first was Pishon, which means increase. I'm going to write that down for my own notes. So Pishon, I used to think it was Paisan, you know, an Italian river, but it's actually Pishon. So this is increase. Now, in verse uh, 11, again, the name of the first is Pishon. That is it which compasses the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. Oh, watch this. So there's gold, and verse 12 says, and the gold of that land is good. There is delium and the onyx stone. So what is in this river? What is in this water of Pishon that brings increase? Is an economy. Gold, delium, and the onyx stone. This represents the economy of God. God gave valuable things in that river. Gold has value to it. Let's be honest. And he gave a lot more as we go. But he gives man an economy. So now man has a home. It's a beautiful home. It has food. 
where man makes his choices, who he's going to obey. And then there's water that brings increase. Now there's an economy in the garden, in man's existence. There's an economy there. And then in verse 13, it says that the name of the second river is Gihon. And the word Gihon in the Hebrew, and I'm just going to write this down for my own notes again, is a bursting forth, a bursting forth. Hallelujah. Uh, It talks about uh, just a release, a bursting. And so the river of God is a bursting forth. And what does it produce? Okay, so here we have, I love that, bursting forth. Man, that's what God wants to happen in your life. He wants the river of God in you. He wants the river of God in me to burst forth, right? We want it to, not a trickle, but an overflow, bursting forth. So he says that the, uh, this was, uh, encompasses the whole land of Ethiopia. So this is the name of the second river. 14 says the name of the third river is Hidekel. Hidekel. So Hidekel, let's write that one down as well. That word actually means, <clears throat> the Hidekel, is rapid, rapid. All right, so we have a rapid, and I like a rapid acceleration. This is the river that creates uh, acceleration. Things get done quickly. God says he's going to cut his work short. He's going to finish things quickly. So there's a lot to be said in this third river, that there's a rapid acceleration. There's a bursting forth. There's an increase, all in the rivers, representing the Holy Spirit of the living God. So we go on just a little bit. That was also known as the Tigris. And so we have now the name of the third river is Hittichel, that which goes toward the east of Assyria. And the fourth river is Euphrates. And that word Euphrates there, you'll love this. This is a good one because this is what it's all about. It means fruitfulness. In the Hebrew, that word is fruitfulness. So all the rivers produce increase. They burst forth rapidly, bringing and producing fruitfulness. You got to love that. It also means to break forth, rushing, okay? And again, it refers to fruitfulness. Hallelujah. So the river of God, the Holy Spirit in you and I, causes fruit to abound in our own lives, symbolically. So when the river of God, the Holy Spirit, is flowing in us and through us, then there is fruitfulness, and it comes forth rapidly with the bursting forth. You see, God doesn't want the river in you to be a trickle. He certainly doesn't want the river in you to be stagnant. He wants the river in you to flow rapidly, bursting forth, producing fruitfulness in your life. But again, you can picture man in this garden, this enclosed place, his home, with beauty all around him, this, these rivers of water, living water, nourishing the garden and man himself. I mean, this is, this is what God intended, right? And so we go back here now, and we look at verse 15. Genesis 2.15, And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. This is the labor force that God wanted for man. He created man to work. He created man to labor. He certainly didn't put him in the garden and say, you know, just let it go. He put him in the garden to dress it and to keep it. And the word dress there 
actually means it's the abad, but it means to work it, uh, to serve. It talks about being a husbandman. It's talking about becoming a servant or a worshiper. Wow. So let's get it right now. God put man in this beautiful garden that has food, water, economy. Now he's saying you need to dress it. You need to landscape it. You need to keep it beautiful because it says in the next part of verse 15, not only to dress it and to keep it. He wanted him to keep it. And that's the shamar, the shamar. And it means to have charge over it, to watch it, to guard it, to observe it. I love this, to celebrate it. Amen. And it goes on in the Shabar, means hedge it about, uh, to guard it, literally, to protect it, um, to, be, to, to preserve it. In other words, be a watchman also around the garden. So here God gives this beautiful home to man. And, we, and let's go through it one more time. He gives him a home. It's beautiful. There's food. There are choices that man will make. There's water, there's an economy, and now there's labor. So dress it, make it beautiful, and then watch over it. Don't let it go to waste. All right, this is God's garden. God created the garden. He put man in it. It's like God putting people in your land or in your territory. And God would say to them, take care of it, dress it, keep it, watch over it, protect it. And when man doesn't do that and they don't protect it and they don't, okay, anyways, we'll get into something else here in just a little bit, but this is the labor. So God created man to labor. He doesn't want filthiness. He doesn't want unclean spirit. He doesn't want uh, thorns and briars to grow up in his garden. He doesn't want trash on the ground. He doesn't want uh, confusion and discombobulation and disorder. He wants it ordered, and he wants it beautiful. This is God's heart. He wants it beautiful. And the only way to really run your home, whether it's your closet, your drawers, your garage, is to have the heartbeat of God inside of you to be able to tend it. You look around your home right now, what will you see? Go in your drawers, your closet, your garage, your car. What will you see? Well, if it's disordered, if it's unclean, if it's a bunch of dust and dirt, it just simply means that you're living under the curse. You're outside the garden. Come on. Come on. Let me just go a little further here. There's more to this. So again, we're reading that he took the man, he put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. In other words, to landscape it, to protect it, to guard it. I mean, it's so rich in the Hebrew what God was really doing. And this is, what, this is the responsibility that God gave man. Verse 16, the Lord God commanded the man. What does that refer to? Now we have God's holy law comes into the garden. So God is the creator of all things. And God did all things well. And God gave man a home. He gave him beauty. He gave him food. He gave him choice. He gave him water. He gave him an economy. He gave him labor. And now he gives his law. And it says that God commanded the man, saying, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat of it. For in the day that you eat thereof, you shall surely die. All right. So God doesn't make robots. 
God puts man in beautiful situations, but he always gives man a choice to choose what you're going to do. Are you going to obey God or are you going to obey the devil? Are you going to obey your own flesh? Are you going to do it your way or are you going to give God the glory of being the creator and being God the superior and honoring him and fearing him and doing what he wants to do? So now we have an introduction to creation in the realm of man that God desired for man. He's always desired it for man. Do you know if God had a different plan for man, it would have been written? But God, at the end of time, is going to bring man back to this condition. And that's what it's all about. It's a restoration of all things through his son, Jesus Christ. But you and I who are born again, we should be operating within this right now. Has God given you a home? Do you have a place to live? Is it beautiful? Is there food available on that land? Is there water available on that land? Are there choices that you make every day on that land or in your home? Is there an economy that goes on in your, in your home? Does God's law have power in your home? Come on. Is there labor in your home? Are you supposed to dress it and keep it and make it and preserve it to be as beautiful as God wants it to be? Yes, I hope your home is operating like this. Now, before Christ, it may not have been, but in Christ, we should be having the restored values, the restored principles to take care of whatever God has given us. Has he given you a tiny little apartment? Is it as beautiful with the heart of God as you can make it to be? Well, I don't think God wants people in cities. I don't think God really intended people to be in cities. That's a Cain building city mentality, okay? And that's a Nimrod building mentality. They built cities. God gave man a garden. So if God gives you a garden to live in, he's giving you everything, and he's asking for you to treat it well. That's what he's saying, right? Now, he goes on in verse 18. Now, he gives this law. Man, you're going to make a choice. I'm giving you the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't touch that. The day you do, you're dead. I'm going to give you the tree of life. Well, God gave his law, showing his superiority, his authority as the creator. He has every right to do so. Amen? All right. So now, the very next thing that God gives, I love this, in verse 18 And the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a help meet for him. He's talking about marriage. God is going to introduce what he knows is good and right and beneficial. He gave man a help meet. That phrase there, help meet, in the Hebrew is the azer, and it means aid. It means help. So God wants to bring a helper, uh, a securer, okay? And it also comes from another word, the azar, which means to support. It means to surround or, or to protect. So the woman that God was about to give to Mr. Adam was to be someone that secures him, helps him, supports him, protects him, aids him, 
I mean, these are all the definitions, and they go deeper and deeper and deeper into the Hebrew economy of things. But so God is now introducing to mankind, I will make him a helpmeet for him. Then 19 says, out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. So another thing that God gave Adam was authority. He gave him authority. So God's intention to be the ultimate authority, but on earth he gave Adam authority to name the beast of the field. I mean, that's part of the authority. There's a lot more to it, as we know, in Genesis 1, 26, 27, 28, and all that. But here we have man having authority to name all creation. Chapter 2.20, in Genesis 2.20, Adam gave names to all cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. And for Adam, there was not found a help meet for him, a help meet for him. There wasn't a Secure, there wasn't a aid, a protector, there wasn't that didn't exist. So what does God give him? What does God give to Adam? Well, in verse 21, the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and God he took one of his ribs. God took a rib and closed up the flesh instead thereof. In other words, God did a surgical operation on Adam, literally taking a rib out of his rib cage, right? And he closed it up after the surgery. God is a good surgeon. How many of you know it's true? So he closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib, now what does the word rib actually mean? Well, the word rib is the, in the Greek, shalah, or the selah, selah, selah. You ever see that in your Bible, the selah, right? Well, this is the selah, and it literally means, okay, as curved. You ever wonder why women are so curved? Well, it's because that's the rib, meaning as curved, the body, it literally means a door, a side, out of the side, okay? Architecturally, it's talking about a, a chamber. Again, the side, the rib. All right, so there's a lot to this rib. And then the salah actually is, well, that's kind of a deep root word there. Let's go into this. I was talking about limping. I guess after the rib is gone, you limp for a bit. <laughs> Anyways, so we know that God took a rib. Now, what did he do with this rib? What did God do with the rib? Well, it says in verse 22, Genesis 2:22, and the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he took it from man, made he a woman, a woman. And brought her to the man. Now, the word woman is a isha. And that means a female. He made a female. Opposite of man in the Hebrew. Okay? Uh, a woman married to man. The isha actually means a woman, a female, a wife, uh, together. All right, so this is God's desire 
in creation, God gave man a woman, and he brought her unto the man. Now, in verse 23, so what does God give here? He gives marriage. And then, of course, we know what God told them to do was what? Be fruitful and multiply, which represents family. All right, so let's take a look at this real quick. Let me read verse 23. Adam said, when he brought the woman to Adam, Adam said, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother. He's talking about the future of his children that they're going to produce. A man shall leave his mother and father, shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and the wife, and were not ashamed. Wow. So what is this? What are we talking about today? Why are we talking about it? What does it have to do with end times? What does it have to do with Bible prophecy? Everything. Watch. So far, what we discovered in these few verses, that God's intention in the beginning, which will be realized at the end, okay, in a supernatural way, there's no doubt about it, so far beyond just mere earthly terms here. There's a symbolic reality to all of this. There's no doubt about it. But here's what God's original intent for you and I was. A home. A protected place, in an enclosed place of security. Today we have cameras and gates and locks. That wasn't God's intent. God enclosed the home that he gave to Adam. And what kind of a home was it? It was a garden of delight and pleasure and beauty. It was a beautiful dwelling place. Number two. Number three, God gave them food, good food, trees for fruit, herbs, good food. God gave them a choice. He allowed them to be their own decision makers. He didn't force anything upon anybody. He said, I made you in my image, my likeness. I am your God. I created you. I'm giving you a home, a beautiful home with beautiful food, but I'm going to make you a person that makes choices, a man that makes choices. And then he gave them water. And that water we saw was increased, bursting forth, rapid fruitfulness. Hallelujah. The river inside of you could rapidly burst forth and produce and increase the fruits of your righteousness, right? So he gave them water. That was number five. So we have home, beauty, food, choice, water. And then within the water, he gave an economy the gold, the onyx stone, the delium. He gave an economy to man. God gave the valuable things for man to utilize. He gave him an economy to operate it, become a faithful steward, learn how to give, you know, tithe back to God, give offerings to the Lord, whatever. He gave an economy. You say, well, what was that for? Well, he gave Israel an economy to go into the wilderness when they left Egypt. We'll talk about that in just a bit, but he gave them an economy. Then, he gave them labor, work. He wanted them not to be lazy in the garden and just kind of take care of their, you know, little hut. He wanted them to dress and keep the garden, their entire enclosure. 
They were to be looking out after it, making sure it was as beautiful as God intended it to be. Then he gave him his law. So we have home, beauty, food, choice, water, economy, labor, and number eight, law, because God's the law giver. And then he gave them, number nine, marriage. Okay, well, all that is perfect. And then out of marriage would come family. And when you add it all together and you total it up, it spells and equals love. It's love. Everything that was done for man was done in love. Now, what does man do with all of this? Well, you know, and I know what happens next. After all of this, God's original intention for man, and I am confident that if the home needed to be enlarged because of the be fruitful and multiply, God would have created more beauty, created greater gardens, whatever. God's intention was a small beginning. Now, listen. You're a Christian, you're a believer, you're a follower of Christ. All these things have to do with the inward aspects of our life. Our home, we have a tabernacle made in the heavens. Okay, right now, God's living in us. We're a temple, right? We could go through this whole thing. God brings the beauty of his spirit, the beauty of his kingdom into our hearts. God has given us food to eat, the word of God, the bread of life. He's given us water to drink and rivers of living water. He's, he's just brought everything. God's given you an economy to work with. He's given you a job, right? You're, you're, you're laboring. You have God's law. You're, what God wants of you, requires of you. Uh, he, you have a marriage and you have a family. And it was, it's all love. So how, how is it to you? How would you feel? How would you feel if you went out of your way to provide something for someone, and you gave them the very best you possibly could, and all of a sudden a serpent, a cunning serpent in the mind, influenced them to do opposite of what was required, which was really simple. Don't eat that tree. That's how simple the law of God was. Listen to me. We're complicating things in religion. In simplicity, the only law that God gave was don't eat that tree. Because if you do, it's going to mess you up in your head. And before you know it, your, your home's going to be gone. The beauty that I gave you is going to be gone. The food is going to be polluted. You're going to make the wrong choice. Your water is going to be hard to get. Your economy is going to falter. You're not going to work hard anymore, but when you work, it won't be in a beautiful garden. It will be in the thorns and thistles. My law, you've broken it. Now is going to come a curse, death. He said it. Your marriage is not going to be as wonderful as it once was, and your family is going to cause all kinds of problems. Just ask Cain and Abel. So God is saying to them, I've given you everything in love to do what I'm asking you to do, and the only requirement I have for you don't touch that one tree. They did. The seducer came, seduced them. Mrs. Adam, Eve, the mother of all living. Hath God really said? Oh, the Lord has said, don't touch it, don't eat it. 
But he made her, through conversation in her mind, seduced her to do the one thing that God told them not to do by his law. Don't touch that. And she, don't eat it. And they did. They ate it. Her husband came alongside, however that whole story goes. They ate. She was first. He joined her. They both were kicked out of the garden. They went into the world of thorns and thistles, the sweat of the brow, childbearing pain, and a devil who won the day and has been gloating over humanity ever since. Through Jesus Christ, through, through all the processes, because God is good, immediately after the fall, he goes to work, he sews them clothes, God's already beginning to work again for restoration. And he does all these things with Noah, and he does all these things with Abraham, and he does all these things with King David. I mean, he, he's laboring, laboring, he brings his son, that all who believe in him would come back to the Father. Reconciliation. And what we should be experiencing in the reconciliation is the restoration of what God originally intended for mankind on the earth. But it's even better because there's eternal purpose, it's valuable. So what would God really want for you and I today as we've been reconciled through the death of his son is a restoration to what? A beautiful home? God wants to give you food. You're always going to make choices. He wants to give you beautiful things, delightful things, pleasant things, pleasurable things that are, you know, just glorious things from God's perspective. He gives you water. He wants you to have an economy with what you have. He wants you to labor. He wants you to keep his law. What is the law of God? Everything is fulfilled and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. In these are all the laws of God fulfilled, period. Love God. Make choices that honor God. You see, they didn't love God when they chose to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And every time you and I refuse to do what God's word says, we don't love God. So the only requirement is to love God. And the good news is, is when we do love God and keep his commandments, I'm telling you, the beauty of the Lord becomes a part of your experience on earth. Now, we at, we're alert, we're to keep God's law. I want you to get married, okay? And there are times not to get married, the present distress, 1 Corinthians 7. I want you to have a beautiful family. But because of the sin of man, the stain of sin affects every living creature that comes out of the womb of a woman. Even though Jesus has come and dealt with things, people still give birth to sinners in nature. Adam is still reproducing after his kind. And when he fell, he could only produce fallen creatures. So we're born again through the womb of Christ and are becoming new creations with new natures, living in a hostile world of cities and buildings and murder and lust and pride and it's so everybody goes, well, I'm waiting for heaven. Don't wait for heaven. Right now, by the living spirit of God within you, by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, you can experience something beautiful. But if you're not faithful with another man's, 
Why would God give you your own? The scriptures are very clear. If you have been faithful with a little, I'll give you much. If you haven't been faithful with another, why would you get your own? It's God's garden. It's God's vineyard. Remember, God created a vineyard last week, and then he put his people into it to dress it, keep it, take care of it, and they didn't, so he took away the hedge, and he broke it down, and he scattered them just like Adam and Mrs. Adam were thrust out of the garden. God removes people from his vineyard that don't treat it right, and then he brings others into it that, he, that will treat it right. That's why I said the kingdom to Israel, you're going to be thrust out and the Gentiles are going to come in and they're going to have participation in the things of God, in my kingdom. What does this all mean? What I see is that when God, through Jesus Christ, brings a restoration, after our reconciliation, the restoration, what God brings, what we should have in our spirit are four things, particularly, probably a lot more. Number one, we should be showing and operating in a spirit of appreciation. Has God brought you to a wonderful ecclesia? Does he give you family? Has he given you his word? Is there something wonderful? Appreciation. Has God given you a beautiful home? Has God given you an economy? God given you labor? God given you food and water? God given you choice? God given you marriage? Has he given you, through the restoration, good things back to your life? Number one, response to God's goodness should be a heart filled with appreciation. Number two, thanksgiving. Man, if, if you're born again and you've been reconciled to God and God has begun a restoration in your life and he's given you a promise of eternal life, thanksgiving should be the only thing that comes out of your mouth, right? And out of your heart. Thanks. Because, folks, it could be a lot worse. People could die today in Christ. They're going to be part of the resurrection. You could die today without Christ. You're eternally damned. Things could always be a lot worse. But God's given us everything. In the new covenant, we have a better covenant. He's given us healing. I mean, come on. Look at the promises of God, right? I think we take things for granted. And if there's no appreciation in our heart for what God has given to us. You know, I boast about my pastor Paul and Patricia, Carol, going back a long time ago. To this day, I boast and I have deep spiritual appreciation for my pastors. God gave them to me, just like he, he gave the garden to Adam. God gave something to you. If it's from God, you should appreciate it and you should thank God for it. And then you should value it, number three. You should value what God has given you. And when you don't value what God has given you, you don't even recognize that God gave it to you to live in his garden, and you don't take care of it the way that God wants it to be taken care of, if you don't appreciate it, if you're not thankful for it, and show your appreciation, show your thanksgiving by dressing it and, and keeping it, the, the way God wants it to be, if you let it become like, 
weeds and, and, and the curse, God will take you out, right? He would do it to any of us. He'd say, listen, you're not taking care of what I gave you. You took it for granted. You didn't appreciate it. So you're going to go and see what it could be like. Why would we do that, right? But God did that with Adam and Mrs. Adam. He thrust them out of the garden. He said, you're only taking care of you? I told you to take care of the garden. Now, the fourth thing that we should carry within us for all that God is doing in our lives, we should have a principles. We should have principles, principled values, principled integrity, principled in our thanksgiving, principled in our appreciation. Well, this should be a principle. In other words, a principle is a fastened thing. This is who we are. We give thanks to God. I want to ask you a question. Your home right now, do you have a little home? Do you have a little picket fence around your home? A little enclosed area? You got a little home, maybe a little front yard, a little backyard? You could grow some food in your backyard. Maybe you have a little well or you have some water flow going into there. God's providing you water. How are you taking care of it? How are you taking care of it? Is it beautiful, pleasant? When people walk into your dwelling, do they say, wow, this is beautiful? Where are you? Or are you living like a fallen creature outside the garden and ignoring the restoration that God has for you? Where are you? That's not Joel Olstein's gospel. We're not preaching Joel Olstein's gospel. We're preaching God's word, his original intent for his creation. And I have no problem with Joel, you may, maybe, I don't watch, listen, or anything, but I think a lot of people think, well, prosperity is man-made, and all I'm saying is it's not man-made. So, I know in everything I read in Scripture, what God gave to man, that he is pro-life, but he made man choice, pro-choice. I have no problem with pro-choice, but the question is, what are you going to choose? Life, which God is totally pro-life. Man is pro-choice, but what are you going to choose, life or death? What are we going to choose? I, I want to understand the Father's heart. Right? I want to understand his heart. Why did he remove the people he created and loved so much? Why did he tell them, it's time for you to leave now? You have not honored me. You have not respected me. You have not done what I asked you to do. And I gave you something beautiful. In other words, if we take for granted the things that God gives... They could be taken away. And he's no respecter of persons. So I'm going to ask you a question. Wherever you are on this planet right now, you being reconciled to Jesus Christ have begun a restoration, and God has blessed your life to some degree. 
Do you appreciate what God has done for you? Do you give thanks to God for what he's given you? Do you value the things of God? And are you principled in all of these things? It's just a simple question. At the end of everything, it's going to be this way. Okay, nations have attempted to do this. Israel, God wanted Israel to be a garden. He called them his vineyard. The United States, God wanted it to be a vineyard. What's happening in Israel and the United States today? What's happening? I don't think anybody has a problem believing that Israel and the United States were built by God. Just like he created the Garden of Eden, God created these nations. No problem. God gave a home, the United States of America. Very fertile, very beautiful, mountains, oceans. Gave Israel a home. It was kind of deserty, but there was a time in Israel where it was so fruitful. There's something there, obviously, that's very valuable to God. But here in the United States, for example, God gave us a beautiful place. We live in a beautiful nation. Have you been to the Pacific, the Atlantic? Have you been to the high mountains? Have you been out there? It's beautiful. He gave us plenty of food. He's definitely created us to have choice. He's given us lots of water through the rivers and all the rain he sends, all the good ponds and lakes, lots of water. He's given us an economy. We're a very industrious nation, a lot of economy. We have a labor force. Right? He's given us work to do. We've got a big nation to take care of, right? He's given us his law. Okay, simple, not complicated, simple laws. He's called us to marriage. One time, men married women, right? And they produced family. God gave us all this. He gave us all of it. But where are we today? We have ugly, burning, rioting, broken cities. They're not beautiful. The food supply has been genetically modified. It's really not as nutritious as it used to be. People are eating cupcakes, ding-dong sweets, and they're being, becoming obese, and they're becoming filled with disease and sickness. It's all around. I'm not saying if you like to enjoy something, go ahead, but moderation, right? I'm just saying there's a problem in America with obesity and diabetes and all this. So God gave us water, but where's our water supply? Water supply, you know, is it as good as it could have been? Uh, I don't know. In the book of Lamentations, it was a curse for people to buy their wood and their water. It's a curse to go to the store and buy water. didn't used to be that way in this country. So there's an economy, but it's all corrupt. We have a corrupt economy, a, a faulty economy. I mean, the, it's just it's a bad deal. The economy is hanging on the edge. In other words, we're, in our economy, we're 20-something trillion dollars in debt. So the economy that God would give for rapid increase and acceleration and fruitfulness, we're in debt. So we have a, it's, all, it's all just caving in. Labor, people don't even want to work today because they're getting free money from a socialistic system, priming the minds of people to just take. They're taking away labor, taking away work. Law, 
God's law has been totally replaced by the laws of Antichrist. Marriage, men marry men, women marry women. And the homosexual community says, the Bible doesn't say anything against homosexuality. Are you serious? Family in our country has been devastated. Latchkey kids, no home, no fathers in the homes, divorce, blended marriages. And we've all accepted it because Hollywood said, here it is, the new normal. In other words, the United States, and this goes on, not only this, but we murder our own innocent babies. We shed their innocent blood. So God took down the hedge on 9-11. And God has been bringing judgment after judgment, which means crises after crises. The word judgment in the Greek refers to a crisis. It's the Greek word crises is where we get our English word crises. One crisis after another. So many of them, it's hard to count them anymore. The design behind the crises was to turn the nation back to God. But in Isaiah, he says, why should I correct you any longer? You're only rebel more and more. Exactly where the United States is. So when God's judgments do not bring correction, then he turns the nation over to destruction. Now, you and I, born again, Holy Spirit-filled Christians, we have to look at our lives. Do I have a beautiful home? I'm going to give you my checklist. Do I have a beautiful home? Absolutely. Simple. Simple, but beautiful. Do I have food? Yep. Do I make choices? Yep. Do I have good water? Got the best well water in the world. Do I have an economy? Yep. Do we work? Yep. Does God's law have place in our hearts? Yes. Am I married? Yes. Family? Tons of it. Am I appreciating it? Absolutely. Do I thank God for it? Absolutely. Do I have values and do I value what God has given me? Absolutely. Am I principled? Are these fastened values or are they whimsical? They're fastened. What God has done in my life has been amazing. And I thank him and I appreciate it. I appreciate the church that he's given us. I appreciate the job we have to do. I appreciate being on the air right now. It's part of our job title. I appreciate the land he's given the home we have. Patricia Joy Xavier keeps this place like the Garden of Eden. And we're, we're making all that God has given us like the Garden of Eden. We're laboring to get, the gar- get it like the Garden of Eden in areas where it just kind of got a little bit, you know, tainted. We're going to bring it up because there's a law called the second law of thermodynamics. And the second law of thermodynamics is that everything in the created universe is wearing down. And if there's not something there to keep it up, right, if there's not a force there to keep it up, it'll fall apart. Ask any housewife in her kitchen, if you don't do the dishes, if you don't clean the counters, if you don't get take care of things, it'll fall apart. 
And there are actual people in the body of Christ that are living in things that have fallen like junk, living in it like it's okay. Where's their mind, right? Got to ask. Where's your mind at? So anyways, we live in America outside the covenant blessing that God intended. A true believer could access the Father through his son Jesus and come back to the Garden of Eden and begin to experience a life in this sin-sick world. Hundredfold, a lot of problems. He says, Jesus said, you'll, you'll, have, you'll have everything you need, but they'll be with tribulation. Because in the world, that's what's there. So there's always going to be challenges, but you can actually experience in your relationship with God through his son a restoration of what God intends for you. And it's not being a multimillionaire. It's just having things where the presence of God, because ultimately in the garden, God walked with man in the cool of the day, his presence. And God doesn't dwell with Beelzebub, the Lord of the flies, that filthy, unclean spirit. And one of the things that we detest and hate is the filthy, unclean spirit running rampant in our society. And to see it in the church should be an abhorrence to every true believer. Filth that draws flies, Beelzebub, the Lord of the Flies, homosexuality, lesbianism, transgenderism, abortion, unclean spirits, all of it should be an abhorrence if we're truly born again. In other words, there should be something inside of the believer that abhors and says, get me out of this place. This is, this is horrible. I don't want to touch it. That's why God says, do not touch the unclean thing, and I will receive you. People everywhere, in the church, outside the church, Sadhu, Sundahar, Savarej, Sadhu, he just gave a message a couple of weeks ago, that the filthiest institution on the planet is the church. He said mosques aren't as filthy as Christianity. Islam is not as filthy. Buddhism, Hinduism, he went through the list. He said the church, Christianity, is the most filthy institution on this earth. Thank God you don't have to belong to an institution. Thank God you can have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and begin to experience what God intended you to be through the restoration that God has started in your life. Maybe you used to be unclean. You've got to cast out the unclean spirit and let the Holy Spirit begin to guide you with whatever you have. Commit everything to the Lord. Commit it to him. Operate in the economy of heaven. Operate in the labor of the kingdom. Operate in God's intended purpose for family and marriage. Keep his law. Love his law. It's easy. It's simple. It's not hard. Make right choices. Enjoy beautiful things. You see, a match is being lit in this nation. And soon it will burn to the ground with its filthiness. The leaders in Washington, D.C., 
the leaders in Hollywood, the leaders in education, the leaders in all the different fat, the leaders, the home industry, uh, the food industry, the water, the economy, the labor, the law, marriage, family, all this that's going on in our society, it's ready to burn. It doesn't represent the mind of God. Leaders today, the law today, undergirds what God calls an abomination and confusion. The innocent blood being shed does not represent God's mind. Men with men does not represent God's mind. He condemns it. Women with women, does he condemns it. It doesn't represent God's mind. It's not what God intended. And don't think for a moment, oh, I could do it and God's good with it because he owes me something. It's not true. It's called repentance. And this nation isn't going to repent, but you can. You can. If the shoe fits, put it on. Where is the mind of Christ in the body of Christ today? At least we have to begin to do it right. Man, there are so many faults, blemishes that we're all working through. But does this not set the path to restoration and healing and cleansing and washing? The uncleanness is not outside of ourselves. It's within unclean spirits. Do you know that Jesus and his ministry cast out more unclean spirits than any other kind of spirit in Israel? Read your Bible. Unclean devils dwelling in the psyche, in the soul. Christians can't have demons. Really? Really? It's in the mind. A match is lit. This nation's going to burn. And the greed and the covetousness within the economy of God, it's just not working right. Hopefully in your life it is. And I will say it openly and boldly. Through the reconciliation Through Jesus Christ, you being reconciled to the Father, he will begin a restoration. And he will begin to cause all these things we talked about. Home, beautiful things, food, choice, water, economy, labor, law, marriage, family, all in love. He'll begin to restore them to you. Heaven is this multiplied 10 billion times with a spiritual quality to it that cannot be matched. And will never end. But to taste that the Lord is good right here, right now, why not? I had a man walk onto our property yesterday. And he looked around and he said, this is beautiful. This is beautiful. He saw the beauty of what God has given. And he's laboring to bring the fullness of that beauty. And that's what we do. We labor, keep, and to dress, and to live life within the kingdom. And if I were to describe today's message, I would just say this is a kingdom message. This is the kingdom of God message. 
Have I been perfect? No, I have not been perfect. Have there been times of lack of appreciation and thanksgiving? Yes. Have I failed? Have I missed the market times? Yes. And as I'm going, I'm learning that these things are so valuable and that beauty is better than ugly and clean is better than dirty. Order is better than confusion. All the people in this nation, if they were under right leadership, can you imagine cleaning up the United States of America with its rivers and valleys and redwood forests and all the beautiful, magnificent oceans? Can you imagine if the people would come under the mind of God and we would all labor in the earth in God's original intent? Get the demons cast out. Get the blinders off. But it's hard. Because God sent Isaiah to put blindness on people, lack of understanding, and inability to repent. I believe God gave life, and it was supposed to be so abundant and joyful. And I believe through Jesus Christ, you can have this. But you have to go after it. You have to yield, obey. And you say, well, the law of Washington, D.C. is over the land. Listen, you could bring the law of God into your home and say, God, here's man's law. They perverted yours. They took yours away. I'm lifting your law up in my house, in my family, in my marriage. It will be love because everything God did was by love. And I will take care of it. And I will dress it. And I will keep it. And I will value. And I will give thanks. And I will appreciate the people in my life. I will value and appreciate the good things that you give to me. If somebody walks into my life that wants to just be shoulder to shoulder and do great, beautiful, wonderful, I I just want to value. It could begin today. It's a journey. Restoration is a journey back into the original intended purpose of God. There's access into it. You're sick. You have cancer, diabetes. You're having all kinds of sick issues in your physical body. Find your faith. Put it in God and in the great physician, Jesus Christ. And if you're having a hard time, then use whatever's left of the medical system, if you trust it, and get healed. I am so content with what God has given me from a boy in Jersey City that grew up in poverty. There are people who were people in more poverty. Yes. Thank God I always did have a home. I mean, but poverty, never really had. So what God has given for me is more than enough. I don't need anything. I just thank God for what I have, and I want to keep it, and I want to dress it, and I want it to be maintained, and I, want to, I just want God's blessing in it. We understand that we're just simple stewards. 
we possess nothing. It's all the Lord's, whatever it is. But to have an abundant life filled with love and joy and peace and the fruit of the Spirit, I mean, why not? Why would people choose death over life? Why would they choose darkness? Well, Jesus made it clear. Men love darkness rather than light, so they won't come to the light lest their evil deeds be revealed. One of the cool things about a garden, it's pretty free, huh? It's pretty free. Pretty free. Well, anyways, that is where I'm starting this week, and I don't want to just keep going over things. Let's see what's going on over here. Just say hello. All right, all right, all right. Let's say got lots of friends out here. Again, I want to say good morning to Keith Carey. Good morning, Pastor Prince. I missed you. I have a great spot on my right lung. Uh-oh. I have a spot on my right lung, says Keith Carey, lower part. Getting a CT scan this Thursday at 11:30. The spot is from this spot is from the COVID-19 after acquiring pneumonia from it. Keith, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, may God eradicate the spot, remove it, and erase it by the blood of His Son Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Amen. Jesse saying good morning this morning. Well, here's a gal that's doing an amazing thing, talking about what we did today. She has a cleaning business called Supernatural House Cleaning. She's a cleaner of the house. Way to go, Jesse. Good morning to you. Terry Shannon, good morning, everyone from Paris, Texas, via Broken Bow, Oklahoma. Blessings to you and your house. Amen. Yes, we want the blessing. Brenda Torville, good morning, Terry Shannon. Again, Kathy Bruns, good morning. Excellent teaching. God be with you. Thank you, Kathy. Uh, let's go to Kenneth Bruns, 90-plus again this week in South Dakota. God is in control. Yeah, it's going to be 92 here this weekend. Mamma mia. It's getting hot. There's a match. It's going to be lit. It's going to burn. It may be just a preview. Alvin Craig, hey. Yes, Alvin Craig. Hey to you, sir. David Ellison, did Adam use a John Deere or maybe an elephant pulling a brush hog in the garden? I don't know, Dave. I don't know if he did or not use a John Deere. Maybe he used Deere and one of his son's name was John. I don't know. I don't know. River of Fire Ministries, say who? Say who? Who? Uh, Salar. Salar? Say what? Yes, female. All right. I don't get that. But anyways, hello from River Fire Ministries. Um, Keith Carey, womb man. Yeah, I used to say that. I, I learned that from um, Miles Monroe. I used to call it a wombed man, a woman with a womb, a man with a womb, a womb man. So anyways, David Ellis said the Garden of Eden was the first time the husband threw his wife under the bus. <laughs> this woman that you gave me. Vinny Pots and Pans. Good morning, Vincenzo and Saints. Good morning, Vinny. God bless you. Kevin George. I have a big problem with Joel Osteen. Yeah, I get it. I said something and I heard my wife, Vincent, so I stopped. Anyways, Kevin Hauger. Oh, Kevin George. He's a false teacher and should be exposed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kevin Hauger, Joel Osteen does not teach true. Okay, got it. Kevin, I get it. I get it. It's 
Accountability of the truth. The doctrine plays in the wanting prosperity from a man's point of view, not from God's purpose for us. Amen. I get it. Kenneth Bruns, easy come, easy go. Don't worry, your government will take care of you like a thief does. That's right. What a mama mia that is. Brenda Torville, amen. Kenneth Bruns, pray for the post. A person holds not the person that holds it unless the person is led of God. Shirley Woolsey. Thank you for the word today. A match is being lit. If we just look around, thank you for preaching the truth in this time. Our Lord, Janet Ruth, hey, pastor. Hello, Janet. Hector, amen, brother Vincent. We possess nothing. Everything is his. Amen to that. Great conversation. Hey, I'm so sorry. I did not get to phone calls today, but here's the deal. I've got a, a, a tomorrow. I will be opening the lines. Pastor Jeff Bass from Virginia is going to join us on the air tomorrow. Right now, if you're dealing with demonic, unclean spirits and all that stuff, turn in, tune in right now to Omega Radio. Go right now to omegaradio.org. There's a roundtable discussion on deliverance, the Christian Bill of Rights, led by Patricia Joy Xavier. Until we meet tomorrow, this is Pastor Vince Shalom. Have a super blessed day. Amen.